0: chapter three of the woman in the alcove by anna catherine green this librivox recording is in the public domain anson durand with benumbed senses and a dismayed heart i stared at the fallen jewel as at some hateful thing menacing both my life and honor i have had nothing to do with it i vehemently declared i did not put the gloves in my bag nor did i know the diamond was in them i fainted at the first alarm and-there there i know interposed the inspector kindly i do not doubt you in the least not when there is a man to doubt miss van arsdale you had better let your uncle take you home i will see that the hall is cleared for you to-morrow i may wish to speak to you again but i will spare you all further importunity to-night I shook my head. It would require more courage to leave at that moment than to stay. Meeting the inspector's eye firmly, I quietly declared, If Mr. Durand's good name is to suffer in any way, I will not forsake him. I have confidence in his integrity, if you have not. It was not his hand, but one much more guilty, which dropped this jewel into the bag. So-so, do not be too sure of that little woman you had better take your lesson at once it will be easier for you and more wholesome for him here he picked up the jewel well they said it was a wonder he exclaimed in sudden admiration i am not surprised now that i have seen a great gem at the famous stories i have read of men risking life and honor for their possession if only no blood had been shed uncle uncle i wailed aloud in my agony it was all my lips could utter but to uncle it was enough speaking for the first time he asked to have a passage made for us and when the inspector moved forward to comply he threw his arm about me and was endeavoring to find fitting words with which to fill up the delay when a short altercation was heard from the doorway and mr durand came rushing in followed immediately by the inspector his first look was not at myself but at the bag which still hung from my arm as i noticed this action my whole inner self seemed to collapse dragging my happiness down with it but my countenance remained unchanged too much so it seems for when his eye finally rose to my face He found there what made him recoil and turn with something like fierceness on his companion. "'You have been talking to her,' he vehemently protested. "'Perhaps you have gone further than that. What has happened here? I think I ought to know. She is so guileless, Inspector Dalzell, so perfectly free from all connection with this crime—' why have you shut her up here and plied her with questions and made her look at me with such an expression when all you have against me is just what you have against some half-dozen others that i was weak enough or unfortunate enough to spend a few minutes with that unhappy woman in the alcove before she died it might be well if miss van Arsdale herself would answer you was the inspector's quiet retort "'What you have said may constitute all that we have against you, but it is not all we have against her.' I gasped, not so much at this seeming accusation, the motive of which I believed myself to understand, but at the burning blush with which it was received by Mr. Durand. "'What do you mean?' he demanded, with certain odd breaks in his voice. "'What can you have against her a triviality returned the inspector with a look in my direction that was i felt not to be mistaken i do not call it a triviality i burst out it seems that mrs fairbrother for all her elaborate toilet was found without gloves on her arms As she certainly wore them on entering the alcove, the police have naturally been looking for them. And where do you think they have found them? Not in the alcove with her, not in the possession of the man who undoubtedly carried them away with him, but— I know, I know, Mr. Durand hoarsely put in. You need not say any more. Oh, my poor Rita, what have I brought upon you by my weakness? Weakness? he started i started my voice was totally unrecognizable i should give it another name i added coldly for a moment he seemed to lose heart then he lifted his head again and looked as handsome as when he pleaded for my hand in the little conservatory you have that right said he besides weakness at such a time and under such an excellency is little short of wrong it was unmanly in me to endeavor to secrete these gloves more than unmanly for me to choose for their hiding place the recesses of an article belonging exclusively to yourself i acknowledge it rita and shall meet only my just punishment if you deny me in the future both your sympathy and regard but you must let me assure you, and these gentlemen also, one of whom can make it very unpleasant for me, that consideration for you, much more than any miserable anxiety about myself, lay at the bottom of what must strike you all as an act of unpardonable cowardice. From the moment I learned of this woman's murder in the alcove, where I had visited her, i realized that every one who had been seen to approach her within a half-hour of her death would be subjected to a more or less rigid investigation and i feared if her gloves were found in my possession some special attention might be directed my way which would cause you unmerited distress so yielding to an impulse which i now recognize as a most unwise as well as unworthy one i took advantage of the bustle about us and of the insensibility into which you had fallen to tuck these miserable gloves into the bag i saw lying on the floor at your side i do not ask your pardon my whole future life shall be devoted to winning that i simply wish to state a fact very good it was the inspector who spoke i could not have uttered a word to save my life perhaps you will now feel that you owe it to this young lady to add how you came to have these gloves in your possession mrs fairbrother handed them to me handed them to you yes i hardly know why myself she asked me to take care of them for her i know that this must strike you as a very peculiar statement it was my realization of the unfavorable effect it could not fail to produce upon those who beard it which made me dread any interrogation on the subject. But I assure you it was as I say. She put the gloves into my hand while I was talking to her, saying they incommoded her. And you... Well, I held them for a few minutes, then I put them in my pocket, but quite automatically, and without thinking very much about it. She was a woman accustomed to have her own way. People seldom questioned it. I judge here the tension about my throat relaxed and i opened my lips to speak but the inspector with a glance of some authority forestalled me were the gloves open or rolled up when she offered them to you they were rolled up did you see her take them off assuredly and roll them up certainly after which she passed them over to you not immediately she let them lie in her lap for a while while you talked mr durand bowed and looked at the diamond mr durand bowed for the second time have you ever seen so fine a diamond before no yet you deal in precious stones that is my business and are regarded as a judge of them I have that reputation. Mr. Durand, would you know this diamond if you saw it? I certainly should. The setting was an uncommon one, I hear. Quite an unusual one. The inspector opened his hand. Is this the article? Good God, where... Don't you know? I do not. The inspector eyed him gravely. Then I have a bit of news for you. It was hidden in the gloves you took from Mrs. Fairbrother. Miss Van Arsdale was present at their unrolling. Do we live, move, breathe at certain moments? It hardly seems so. I know that I was conscious of but one sense, that of seeing, and of but one faculty, that of judgment. Would he flinch? break down betray guilt or simply show astonishment i chose to believe it was the latter feeling only which informed his slowly whitening and disturbed features certainly it was all his words expressed as his glances flew from the stone to the gloves and back again to the inspector's face i cannot believe it i cannot believe it and his hand flew wildly to his forehead yet it is the truth mr durand and one you have now to face how will you do this by any further explanations or by what you may consider a discreet silence i have nothing to explain the facts are as i have stated the inspector regarded him with an earnestness which made my heart sink You can fix the time of this visit, I hope. Tell us, I mean, just when you left the alcove. You must have seen someone who can speak for you. I fear not. Why did he look so disturbed and uncertain? There were but few persons in the hall just then, he went on to explain. No one was sitting on the yellow divan. You know where they went, though whom you saw and what you did before the alarm spread inspector i am quite confused i did go somewhere i did not remain in that part of the hall but i can tell you nothing definite save that i walked about mostly among strangers till the cry rose which sent us all in one direction and made me at the side of my fainting sweetheart can you pick out any stranger you talked to or any one who might have noted you during this interval you see for the sake of this little woman i wish to give you every chance inspector i'm obliged to throw myself on your mercy i have no such witness to my innocence as you call for innocent people seldom have it is only the guilty who take the trouble to provide for such contingencies this was all very well if it had been uttered with a straightforward air and in a clear tone but it was not i who loved him felt that it was not and consequently was more or less prepared for the change which now took place in the inspector's manner yet it pierced me to the heart to observe this change and i instinctively dropped my face into my hands when i saw him move toward mr durand with some final order or word of caution instantly and who can account for such phenomena there floated into my view before my retina a reproduction of the picture i had seen or imagined myself to have seen in the supper-room and as it at that time it opened before me an unknown vista quite removed from the surrounding scene so it did now and i beheld again in faint outlines and yet with the effect of complete distinctness a square of light through which appeared an open passage partly shut off from view by a half-lifted curtain and the tall figure of a man holding back this curtain and gazing or seeming to gaze at his own breast on which he had already laid one quivering finger what did it mean in the excitement of the horrible occurrence which had engrossed us all i had forgotten this curious experience but on feeling anew the vague sensation of shock and expectation which seemed its natural accompaniment i became conscious of a sudden conviction that the picture which had opened before me in the supper-room was the result of a reflection in a glass or mirror of something then going on in a place not otherwise within the reach of my vision a reflection the importance of which i suddenly realized when i recalled at what a critical moment it had occurred a man in a state of dread looking at his breast within five minutes of the stir and rush of the dreadful event which had marked this evening a hope great as the despair in which i had just been sunk gave me courage to drop my hands and advance impetuously toward the inspector don't speak i pray don't judge any of us further till you have heard what i have to say in great astonishment and with an aspect of some severity he asked me what i had to say now which i had not had the opportunity of saying before i replied with all the passion of a forlorn hope that it was only at this present moment i remembered a fact which might have a very decided bearing on this case and detecting evidences as i thought of relenting on his part i backed up this statement by an entreaty for a few words with him apart as the matter i had to tell him was private and possibly too fanciful for any ear but his own he looked as if he apprehended some loss of valuable time but touched by the involuntary gesture of appeal with which i supplemented my request he led me into a corner where with just an encouraging glance toward mr durand who seemed struck dumb by my action i told the inspector of that momentary picture which i had seen reflected in what i was now sure was some window-pane or mirror it was at a time coincident or very near coincident with the perpetration of the crime you are now investigating i concluded within five minutes afterward came the shout which roused us all to what had happened in the alcove i do not know what passage i saw or what door or even what figure but the latter i am sure was that of the guilty man something in the outline and it was only the outline i could catch expressed an emotion incomprehensible to me at the moment but which in my remembrance impresses me as that of fear and dread it was not the entrance to the alcove i beheld that would have struck me at once but some other opening which i might recognize if i saw it cannot that opening be found and may it not give a clue to the man i saw skulking through it with terror and remorse in his heart was this figure when you saw it turned toward you or away the inspector inquired with unexpected interest turned partially away he was going from me and you sat where shall i show you the inspector bowed then with a low word of caution turned to my uncle i am going to take this young lady into the hall for a moment at her own request may i ask you and mr durand to await me here without pausing for reply he threw open the door and presently we were pacing the deserted supper-room seeking the place where i had sat i found it almost by a miracle everything being in great disorder guided by my bouquet which i had left behind me in my escape from the table i laid hold of the chair before which it lay and declared quite confidently to the inspector this is where i sat naturally his glance and mine both flew to the opposite wall a window was before us of an unusual size and make unlike any which had ever before come under my observation it swung on a pivot and though shut at the present moment might very easily when opened present its huge pane at an angle capable of catching reflections from some of the many mirrors decorating the reception-room situated diagonally across the hall as all the doorways on this lower floor were of unusual width an open path was offered as it were for these reflections to pass making it possible for scenes to be imaged here which to the persons involved would seem as safe from anyone's scrutiny as if they were taking place in the adjoining house. As we realized this, a look passed between us of more than ordinary significance. Pointing to the window, the inspector turned to a group of waiters watching us from the other side of the room, and asked if it had been opened that evening. The answer came quickly. "'Yes, sir, just before the—the—I understand.' broke in the inspector, and leaning over me he whispered, Tell me again exactly what you thought you saw. But I could add little to my former description. Perhaps you can tell me this, he kindly persisted. Was the picture, when you saw it, on a level with your eye, or did you have to lift your head in order to see it? It was high up, in the air as it were, that seemed its oddest feature the inspector's mouth took a satisfied curve possibly i might identify the door and passage if i saw them i suggested certainly certainly was his cheerful rejoinder and summoning one of his men he was about to give some order when his impulse changed and he asked if i could draw i assured him in some surprise that i was far from being an adept in that direction but that possibly i might manage a rough sketch whereupon he pulled a pad and pencil from his pocket and requested me to make some sort of attempt to reproduce on paper my memory of this passage and the door my heart was beating violently and the pencil shook in my hand but i knew that it would not do for me to show any hesitation in fixing for all eyes what Unaccountably to myself, continued to be perfectly plain to my own. So I endeavored to do as he bade me, and succeeded to some extent, for he uttered a slight ejaculation at one of its features, and while duly expressing his thanks, honored me with a very sharp look. Is this your first visit to this house? he asked. No, I have been here before. In the evening or in the afternoon? in the afternoon i am told that the main entrance is not in use tonight no a side door is provided for occasions like the present guests entering there find a special hall and staircase by which they can reach the upstairs dressing room without crossing the main hall is that what you mean yes that is what i mean i stared at him in wonder what lay back of such questions as these You came in, as others did, by the side entrance. He now proceeded. Did you notice, as you turned to go upstairs, an arch opening into a small passageway at your left? I did not. I began, flushing, for I thought I understood him now. I was too eager to reach the dressing-room to look about me. Very well, he replied. I may want to show you that arch. The outline of an arch, backing the figure we were endeavoring to identify, was a marked feature in the sketch I had shown him. Will you take a seat nearby while I make a study of this matter? I turned with alacrity to obey. There was something in his air and manner which made me almost buoyant. Had my fanciful interpretation of what I had seen reached him with the conviction it had me? If so, there was hope hope for the man I loved, who had gone in and out between curtains, and not through any arch which as he had mentioned or I had described. Providence was working for me. I saw it in the way the men now moved about, swinging the window to and fro, under the instruction of the inspector, manipulating the lights, opening doors, and drawing back curtains. Providence was working for me, and when, a few minutes later, I was asked to reseat myself in my old place at the supper table and take another look in that slightly deflected glass, I knew that my effort had met with its reward, and that for the second time I was to receive the impression of a place now indelibly imprinted on my consciousness. Is not this it? asked the inspector pointing to the glass with a last look at the imperfect sketch I had made him, and which he still held in his hand. Yes, I eagerly responded, all but the man. He whose figure I see there is another person entirely. I see no remorse or even fear in his looks. Of course not. You are looking at the reflection of one of my men. Miss Van Arsdale, do you recognize the place now under your eye? i do not you spoke of an arch in the hall at the left of the carriage entrance and i see an arch in the window-pane before me but you are looking straight through the alcove perhaps you did not know that another door opened at its back into the passage which runs behind it farther on is the arch and beyond that arch the side hall and staircase leading to the dressing rooms this door the one in the rear of the alcove i mean is hidden from those entering from the main hall by draperies which have been hung over it for this occasion but it is quite visible from the back passageway and there can be no doubt that it was by its means the man whose reflected image you saw both entered and left the alcove it is an important fact to establish and we feel very much obliged to you for the aid you have given us in this manner then as i continued to stare at him in my elation and surprise he added in quick explanation the lights in the alcove and in the several parlors are all hung with shades as you must perceive but the one in the hall behind the arch is very bright which accounts for the distinctness of this double reflection another thing and it is a very interesting point it would have been impossible for this reflection to be noticeable from where you sit if the level of the alcove flooring had not been considerably higher than that of the main floor but for this freak of the architect the continual passing to and fro of people would have prevented the reflection in its passage from surface to surface miss van arsdale it would seem that by one of those chances which happen but once or twice in a lifetime every condition was propitious at the moment to make this reflection a possible occurrence even the location and width of several doorways and the exact point at which the portiere was drawn aside from the entrance to the alcove it is wonderful i cried wonderful then to his astonishment perhaps i asked if there was not a small door of communication between the passageway back of the alcove and the large central hall yes he replied it opens just beyond the fireplace three small steps lead to it i thought so i murmured but more to myself than to him in my mind i was thinking how a man if he so wished could pass from the very heart of this assemblage into the quiet passageway and so on into the alcove without distracting very much attention from his fellow-guests i forgot that there was another way of approach even less noticeable that by the small staircase running up behind the arch directly to the dressing-rooms that no confusion may arise in any one's mind in regard to these curious approaches I subjoin a plan of this portion of the lower floor as it afterward appeared in the leading dailies. "'And Mr. Durand,' I stammered, as I followed the inspector back to the room where we had left the gentleman, "'you will believe his statement now, and look for the second intruder with the guiltily hanging head and frightened mien?' "'Yes,' he replied, stopping beyond the threshold of the door and taking my hand kindly in his. If don't start my dear life is full of trouble for young and old and youth is the best time to face a sad experience if he is not himself the man you saw staring in frightened horror at his breast have you not noticed that he is not dressed in all respects like the other gentlemen present that though he has not donned his overcoat he has put on somewhat prematurely one might say the large silk handkerchief lie presumably wears under it have you not noticed this and asked yourself why i had noticed it i had noticed it from the moment i recovered from my fainting fit but i had not thought it a matter of sufficient interest to ask even of myself his reason for thus hiding his shirt-front now i could not my faculties were too confused my heart too deeply shaken by the suggestion which the inspector's words conveyed for me to be conscious of anything but the devouring question as to what i should do if by my own mistaken zeal i had succeeded in plunging the man i loved yet deeper into the toils in which he had become enmeshed the inspector left me no time for the settlement of this question ushering me back into the room where mr durand and my uncle awaited our return in apparently unrelieved silence he closed the door upon the curious eyes of the various persons still lingering in the hall and abruptly said to mr durand the explanations you have been pleased to give of the manner in which this diamond came into your possession are not too fanciful for credence if you can satisfy us on another point which has awakened some doubt in the mind of one of my men mr durand you appear to have prepared yourself for departure somewhat prematurely do you mind removing that handkerchief for a moment my reason for so peculiar a request will presently appear alas for my last fond hope mr durand with a face as white as the background of snow framed by the uncurtained window against which he leaned lifted his hand as if to comply with the inspector's request then let it fall again with a grating laugh i see that i am not likely to escape any of the results of my imprudence he cried and with a quick jerk bared his shirt-front a splash of red defiled its otherwise uniform whiteness that it was the red of heart's blood was proved by the shrinking look he unconsciously cast at it end of chapter 3